Thank you very much. I cannot tell you how great it is to be back in this house. I have missed this family very, very much. Um, it was a long three weeks and an awesome three weeks. And uh, we got a lot of stuff done, and we're glad to be back. So praise God, He really moved in our lives. He moved in the lives of many people while we were down there. Uh, the changes that we saw, the miracles that occurred are just uh, spectacular and unbelievable. I wish we all could have been together to witness that. I wanted to start with a, uh, with a word of encouragement. Uh, Natalie and I picked this up. Uh, God dropped it on us on Monday morning as we were praying. Uh, Psalm 29. Are we going to do uh, verses 3 and 4? The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Now let's flip over to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in Genesis 1-1, we got chaos. We got disorder. In Psalm 29, we have the voice of the Lord over the waters, and He is governing. He is over everything. His power supersedes everything. And I want to encourage you, if you're facing storms right now, and I feel like we have something in here that to let the voice of God speak to you. Let Him hover over your waters and over your problems. Let Him talk to you because He can comfort you and He can fix whatever it is that is happening in your life. He will do it if, if you call on Him. Amen. Let's read Psalm 3, 3 through 5. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. So what, wherever you are, whatever your situation is, God is there. If it feels like he isn't there, then turn around and he'll be right there. Allow him to minister to you in, in, in a time of trouble. So, today is the 9th of March, 2016, and once again, I just, I'm just really happy to be here, and I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk to you tonight. We've covered a lot of ground over the last two, three weeks, uh, many miles, many places, many planes, many flights, but it's all been totally worth it. I want to uh, commend those guys Amen. and Olivia. That is a powerhouse of youth right there. And I believe it's time we graduated them from squirrels to badgers. Yes. Team badger right there. Amen. Right. And I'll tell you, 
without Olivia, eh, I don't know, man. That girl is pretty tough. We watched our kids do some unbelievable supernatural things, healings, casting out demons, praying for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit, and unashamed, bold, and just in your face. It was great. Really enjoyed. <laughs> so it seems like, uh, you know, traveling with, uh, with Wade and Eric, a total blessing. I mean, I can't, I can't explain to you how much um, power there is with these guys right here. You know, we, uh, we spend a lot of time ministering to people, a lot of time teaching, uh, a lot of late nights, and I, I think I don't remember one of them <laughs> when Eric was preaching. It was so late. I think we started the lesson at 11 o'clock, and we, we, we were finally eating dinner at 2 a.m. before we headed for the tents to, to crash. <laughs> so uh, it's great. Um, I'm really uh, thankful that I was allowed the opportunity to do that with you guys. Okay, so let us uh, start out and read in Psalm 29. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Let's, uh, let's go to Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I want to talk about the gospel because it's, um, it's what we live by. Uh, it is a very, very serious thing. It is something that we need to... Um, really be in tune with because it is easy to fall back and lose the effective message that the gospel has. So I want to really talk about that tonight and uh, I feel like the message is for all of us, starting with me, the seriousness of the gospel and that we need to really uh, tighten up and, uh, and not, not let it allow to be watered down. So in Galatians 1, we're going to go 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. So we're already into central elements of the gospel right here. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us, from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you ex accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 
And we'll pick this up in three to eight. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Say first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Paul is talking here, and he uses the phrase of first importance. This is a serious matter. He wants to make sure that the Corinthians are convinced of the truth of the gospel. The gospel, as found in the Bible, is the gospel, period. There is nothing that needs to be added. There is nothing that needs to be taken away, changed, modified. Opinions are not necessary. It stands on its own merit. It stands on its own power. It stands on its own miraculous, incredible, supernatural force. And we don't need to mess with that. What we do need to do is we need to take that gospel and move it out to the world. Amen. We simply need to be obedient and spread the gospel out into the world. Let's read Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see offspring prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by the knowledge by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. This is the gospel centuries before Christ comes on the scene. Okay, this, this is uh, 
This is a theme, a topic, a uh, way of life that is not to be played with. All right. We have Isaiah speaking the gospel hundreds of years before Jesus comes. I'm not sure he knows what he's talking about, but it's here. And it's plain, even in the Old Testament. The gospel is not simply, you know, God loves you and you're saved. Uh, it's not that you receive Jesus and you're happy and life is beautiful and you prosper. It's, it's not about all these things. It's not about material. It's not about living a happy life. It's not being Friday all the time, whatever that book says. It's just not that at all. This is how the gospel has been altered. The gospel is about reconciling all things to God. That's a lot of power. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. As ambassadors, we don't represent ourselves. We are ambassadors of Christ, therefore we represent Him. We represent the kingdom of God. When an ambassador leaves this country, he is responsible to this country. So if he speaks and opens his mouth on his own behalf, he's making a mistake. He is to speak only the words of the king or ruler or prime minister or president that has sent him. Not his own words, but the words of the ruling body that has sent him out. We are the same way. We do not have an opinion about these things. Amen. We speak only the words of God. This is a prayer that I believe we should all have, that we speak only the words of God. Amen. In Galatians... The church was wandering away from the gospel. Let's go back to Galatians 1. I'm sorry, let's make that chapter 2. Galatians 2. Paul challenges certain people because it appears as though the gospel is being watered down. If we look in verse 3 of chapter 2, 
Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ. To be circumcised after you have had the freedom in Christ means that you would be adding to the gospel. Because this is not where the freedom comes from. It is circumcision of the heart. Physical circumcision is not part of the gospel, and this is not what saves us. Verse 6, As for those who seem to be important, whatever they are makes no difference to me. So, maybe there were some higher-ranking Pharisees that had received the gospel. Maybe it was the president of some association. Maybe it was the yacht club president. You know, we have a funny way of electing people into leadership positions that have status and money and worldly power. So just because you're rich and you run a good business, that means you make a good elder or a, or, or a good uh, you know, leader of the church? Not at all. Paul is saying those exact things. Where does the power come from? Well, Paul says himself, you know, they, they looked at me like I was inferior. But God doesn't judge us that way. Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came, to, came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So... Peter is now retracting, he's going back into his Jewish ways, he's hanging out with only Jewish people because he feels like they're superior and the others are inferior. Well, that's not what the gospel is about either. The gospel is for all the nations. But you see, Peter, strong, strong leader in the church, and he's taking steps back. Taking steps back. See how easy it is. This is very, very early in the, in the first century church. We've got to be careful how we, how we handle ourselves regarding the gospel. Because the gospel is for everybody. So I guess my, my question is, do we, are we inclined to make certain changes in the word or even in the gospel to make our lives a little more convenient? You know, is it, is it possible that just a slight little change means that I won't have to be responsible for this aspect of my life? Or a small change means that I won't have to pursue the orders that the Lord has placed on me? Maybe you just don't feel like it. Maybe it's hard to be an ambassador. It's not an easy job. Ambassadors represent entire nations. We represent the kingdom of God. And it's not easy. And I don't believe anywhere it says that it's going to be easy. In fact, it says it's going to be difficult and it may even cost you your life. But when a foreign ambassador get stuck in a foreign land such as Egypt and he dies. This is in the name of his country. 
So when we die, we die for Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. That's the best you can do. So I want to go to 1 Samuel 28. I want to talk a little bit about deceptions, about spiritists and witches and all kind of nasty stuff like that, just for a second, just for perspective's sake. Deuteronomy 18. I'm sorry, it's 1 Samuel 28. Sorry about that. A little slow. What time is it in Nairobi, man? There you go. That's what time it is. All right, First Samuel 28. Saul and the witch of Endor. Samuel's dead. Saul's freaking out because he's afraid he's going to go fight Philistines the next day, and he doesn't know what to do. He realizes that, that God is not happy with him, so he goes and he visits a witch. And this witch calls up Samuel. Verse 11. The woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. You know, Saul, having tasted the goodness of the Lord and having had the Spirit of God on him, having prophesied by the Spirit of God, he needed to have some other, some other medium, some other form of confirmation other than God, to be satisfied with knowing what was going to happen to him the the following day. So, Mozambique, little bush village, man. We're out there in the middle of nowhere. We're having a great time because everything is pretty simple. The people are poor in spirit, but they're happy. They don't have much, but what they do have, they're giving us. All of it. So we're at a worship service under a tree. I don't even think there was a fire that night. We're under a tree. It's getting dark. And, uh, and we started praying for people. And uh, a lot of the requests were that they be released of, 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 of the spirit world, of the witch doctors' curses and all this crazy stuff. And so... We asked a simple question. If you want to be released of these things, then get rid of your idols. And so, one by one, these uh, mainly older ladies and gentlemen started running home to get their witch doctor strings, bringing them back and throwing them in the fire in front of us. So, the question was very simple. 
can you serve both of these entities? Can you serve God and can you serve these witch doctors? And the obvious answer was no, as they started bringing all these things and basically laying them down at our feet. It was, uh, it was absolutely incredible. It was miraculous. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 13. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. As a side note, it starts off here with, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. Now, that was a physical act. You know, they were actually put down on a burning idol and sacrificed as babies. But is it not the same if we let our kids stray? And if we don't raise them up correctly, if we let them out in the world to themselves, is it not the same as throwing them in the fire? I appeal to you, parents to keep on closely with your children raise them in godly ways walk them in the spirit because otherwise they might as well be thrown in the fire they will walk this life but they're walking dead so the witch finally feeds Saul so we're going to go back to 1 Samuel 28. <clears throat> now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food. I'm sorry, it's verse 22. Let me give you some food so you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him, and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on, their, on, on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. So she made this bread without yeast. This is 
a reminder of the sacrificial lamb. This is a reminder to us of something pure, something clean, something holy. In all of his turmoil, in all of his problems, she feeds him bread without yeast. The irony in this whole thing is that Saul's practices are impure. And the witch is driving into impure actions just the same, condoning what he's about to do. Let's go to Luke 12, 41. One, I'm sorry. Meanwhile, when a, I'm sorry, it's Luke 12, 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So in this passage, Jesus is comparing yeast to hypocrisy. So if you're hanging out, with the Pharisees who are yeast and therefore hypocrisy, then does it stand to reason that if you're hanging out all the time with these guys that you might be one of them, you might act like one or turn into one? So in just the same way, if you're out there and you're in here and you're hanging out in the world, and you're trying to be in here and being in there, uh, the, the problem arises, wh- where's, where's the pull the strongest? And can you even decide? Can you know where you need to be? What I'm saying is, if you're hanging out with old worldly things, then it's going to pull you into being what that is. The old man needs to be cut off and cut off radically. So the gospel, which gives us salvation, gives us power, gives us reconciliation, there's not a whole lot in the gospel that allows us worldly life. I believe that it it is going to require purity and dedication to God, and only that. So you're absolutely subject to whatever it is that you serve. So out there, subject to the world. In the kingdom, subject to God. If you're going to eat a meal with somebody that symbolizes purity, but is actually filled with yeast, which is hypocrisy, then that's what you become. So we had... Many visits to many different churches. We had uh, a lot of interactions with a lot of different people. We had many pastors that we visited with, pastors that were pastors that were demon-possessed. You know, the one thing that, that was difficult for us to watch 
was the lack of the word. That was very difficult to watch. Um, I think there was a span of about a few days at least anyway where we didn't see a Bible. Uh, we didn't hear a scripture unless we were giving it. And um, there was a lot of time being wasted doing all kind of other stuff and not, um, you know, if, if you have an extra hour or two, then you have uh, a lot of options of what you can do. You got TV, you got, you know, whatever, but and then you got the word. And I would say, this is what makes us strong. Amen. There is nothing else that, um, that can direct our way better than this. So that was a little bit disturbing. Um, it's sort of a dilution of the, uh, of the gospel because, you know, if, if, if you have a leadership that is acting this way and then you have an entire church that is there, then this is the way, well, what's the saying? Uh, as the leaders go, so, go the, so goes the church, right? And so uh, leaders don't carry the word, church doesn't carry the word. Leaders don't quote scripture, church doesn't quote scripture. And what the result of that is, they don't know anything about the word. It's very, very shallow, very superficial. Um, there were some obvious uh, Bible stories that we were recounting and uh, a lot of blank stares. It was at least disappointing. So you got all these different kinds of gospels, prosperity, you got gospel light, you got female-led churches, you got, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on, okay? And I don't, you know, I mean, what I'm saying is, what is the truth? You know, I'm not asking it as Pilate, I'm asking it sincerely before you, what is the truth? The truth can never, ever be a perversion of this book. It can never be that. The truth is in here, and the truth is exactly what it is. So Paul takes off, man, and he's, uh, he's already condemned. But you know, in, in a troubled state like that, in a troubled state like, Paul, like Saul was in, and you're having to battle continually with your conscience and you're having a battle the next day with Philistines he goes to a witch he goes to a witch knowing the goodness of God now if I maybe even uh, assume that I'm condemned or if I am if I know that I'm condemned I think I'm hanging on to God as much as I can to get back in his good graces The result of this whole hunt was a very upset prophet and an upset God. Cost him his life and the life of his sons. So here's, a, here's a question for you. Is the gospel sufficient for us? Is it, is it, is it all that we need? Go to Acts 19, 19 through 20.
You know, in, in so many instances, while we were traveling uh, across Africa, we, we felt like we were in the Book of Acts. So many things that exactly in the Bible, I mean, exact stories were being duplicated in, in our experiences out there. You know, demons were being cast out. Uh, here in Acts 19, Acts 19, 19. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, a whole, whole bunch of money. So, the gospel is power. Yes. The gospel is power. So these guys were throwing their scrolls in the fire. In Africa, they were throwing their witch doctor's strings in the fire. The gospel is power. Now, if we read a little further, when they calculated the seed of the and in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So that suggests to me that in this way, that act of faith that caused them to throw away their scrolls caused the word of the Lord to spread widely in power. And as such, I believe and I'm confident that the same thing will happen in Mozambique. I think it's a huge act of faith to throw away something that you believed for centuries in your family line, something that's been a heavy tradition, something that says you can believe in Christ, but you also need to go see this guy because you never know. So they take large amounts of money, they go to the witch doctors, and they get some kind of blessing that that is evil. So how does the gospel remain pure? Of course, it stands on its own merit. But in our lives, how does it remain pure? We can only keep this gospel pure as it is by constantly reading and focusing on God's Word. There is no other way to do this. Even skipping a day will immediately change your perspective. Even one day will do that. We can't afford to leave the Word out of what we do, even for a few hours. Amen. In fact, I would say, take your Word and sew it onto your clothing and take it wherever you go. I've noticed the young men here with their cases, and I love it. Because what happens when you need your word and you don't have it? And it sounds like I'm complaining about the lack of the word. But somehow by the time we left after spending time with the people, we started seeing a lot of Bibles. And we started seeing people reading and kids highlighting their Bibles and all this fantastic stuff. You know, uh, sometimes you just need a little convincing. You know, 
Let's go to 2 Samuel 23, 2. We have to speak the very words of God. These are the last words of David, the oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise. When we speak, we have to speak as though God is speaking. You know, I have a lot of family in South Africa. And uh, thanks to Wade, he gave us a couple of days in the schedule to go and visit my family members. And, uh, you know, I, and my lack of faith is what I need to repent about. But I, I didn't leave a lot of hope because I know my family. I love my family, but I know how they live. Um, we had repentance. We had wailing. We had people starving. We had people reaching out hungering for the Word of God. In every place we went, uh, my family was so touched by the Word, and by the truth, that they, they didn't want to let us go. You know, they, 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 they were so hungry for, uh, for the message that we had that they, they were truly flustered when they realized that it was time for us to leave. And that's the miracle and the power of the gospel. Amen. I could speak of the uh, specifics, but it's not necessary. Suffice it to say that uh, they were routed by the word of God. At one point, one of my cousins, uh, he just knelt down and, and he said, you know, my life's problems are all my fault and I need to repent. Yeah, hallelujah. The other guy was screaming out to God to save his brother. So we got to take seriously what the Lord has given us. This gospel is a treasure. It is, it is power. And we've got to take it seriously. We had, in a separate meeting, a really radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. It was a leadership meeting. Um, it was probably about a four or five hour teaching, more or less. Let's go to Acts 19, 1 through 6, then I'll tell that story.
While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So this is another almost exact occurrence, exact duplicate that happened to us while we were in Mozambique. At that particular meeting, um, the teaching was about the Holy Spirit and uh, uncaging the Holy Spirit. Well, in the middle of the teaching, in the middle of the teaching, people started being baptized by the Holy Spirit. In the middle of the teaching. So this is not even an invitation. This is people getting up, beginning to rejoice and to praise God, spontaneously being baptized by the Holy Spirit. The gospel is powerful. They didn't know about the filling of the Holy Spirit. They weren't familiar with it. They didn't have any acquaintance with Him. That when they found out, they got pretty crazy. Amen. You know, I'll say the uh, the Africans that, that I know from, from years past are at least animated. And so when they found out about the Holy Spirit and when He started filling them, their joy went over the top. There was dancing and there was praising and singing and worshiping and it went on for a long time. And it happened to many, many people. I watched Olivia put her hands on a girl. Tongues right away. I watched people get filled without being touched and speak in tongues. Sound like Acts 10? That was an unbelievable day. To quote Francis Chan, we mustn't defend God from his own Bible. So if we'll just let the gospel speak for itself, it is very powerful. When we start to change it, then we become lame. We become weak. We become diluted. And uh, I believe the Holy Spirit can find a place there. The leadership in churches need to be bold about this message. If the leaders don't understand or withhold, then this is a big problem. If you know the teaching, then you must share it with other people. You have to do that. It's our responsibility to move this from ourselves to other people. If you have the gift, you need to share it. And it might be a little scary and intimidating, depending on who you're sharing with, but you know, the gospel is where the power is, not you. So don't worry about it. Just just do it. Just go.
One of the most dangerous things as we live is to start getting comfortable. Start getting passive. You know, maybe letting go a few things that we need to be responsible for, maybe backing off some and and then the next thing you know, uh, you're going in the wrong direction totally. And if we think that it's about being comfortable, then we're totally wrong because the gospel will make you uncomfortable, but the power of God will pull you through it. Amen. Leonard Ravenhill says, The God of all comfort afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. So where do you want to be? You want to be comforted and afflicted? Or you want to be afflicted as a comfortable person? I mean, what, what? it doesn't seem to make sense that withdrawing from the gospel would be a blessing. My next question is, do you water down the gospel to suit your life? I know it's a, it's a hard one, and I, I must ask it to myself also. First, the question again is, do we, do we tend to water down the gospel? And that can mean a lot of things. That can mean the message itself, or it could mean the way we operate within that message. I would encourage you to take the gospel for exactly what it is. So that we do not allow this watered-down gospel to accommodate us in our lives. And um, <laughs> maybe God can make some concessions for you. Yeah, maybe he'll allow something to change just for you. Nah, you won't do that ever. <laughs> no. No. The gospel does not need our help. We just simply need to obey it. I want to close with uh, Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 15. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity and death and destruction. So that is the choices that we got to make.
whether we live or whether we die. Whether we obey or whether we disobey. And those things work together. Disobey, die. Obey, live. What are we going to do with this gospel? This church is good about spreading the word. I must say. But you know, we got to remain tough. We got to be tough. We have not to allow anything to change what the gospel says. It's up to us to obey it. Amen. So, my challenge for you today is that on a daily basis, that we examine ourselves every day, that we ask God to search us, we examine what we're doing, and make sure that those things that are precious and treasures in our life are not being diluted or changed. And this way we will see the glory of God. Um, the undoubtedly the happiest moment of the trip for me is when we showed up in a little village in Kenya and we showed up unannounced and there were children everywhere at this orphanage and they were working and they were singing and they were carrying water on their heads to the orphanage and there was like a like a breath of fresh air you know we had experienced so many difficult but good things difficult teachings with good results and then to walk into this place in Kenya and to witness the most delightful thing with all these orphans, orphans that had been there before and new orphans that were brought in. Uh, trees that had been planted that were 30 feet tall. Uh, crops that had been planted that were growing. They were living off the land. I mean, it was such a beautiful sight. And this is what the gospel does. It brings hope and it brings life. So let's stay in the truth, man.